Bye bye. Okay, good morning. Thank God uh, as the children leads us. Uh, once again, we want to give thanks to the Lord that, bye, that you know, we are able to come to worship Him. This year, our theme is on uh, outreach, and it's because of God's love that we're willing to do it. And so, our theme since January has been the whole series is on uh, creation to Christ, uh, the greatest love story ever told. And to realize that, you know, the stories of Old Testament, they are not just stories. They are not just there to teach us moral values. But really, it unfolds the redemptive story of God. God is only doing one thing throughout history. The question is, then, how many things are we doing with our lives? So in January, we started, you know, we saw that in creation, uh, Christ is the one who uses His life to fill our void, to create order out of chaos. And then there was the fall, how sin came into God's perfect creation and God promised the seed of the woman who had crushed the head of the serpent. But in turn, his heels would be bruised. And that is what we call the proto-evangelion, the first good news, okay, which is God providing a saviour. Um, in Noah's Ark, we saw that, you know, salvation is exclusive. And then in February, we look at the family. The seed of the woman will come through the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the story of Judah and Tamar, we saw that you know, Judah declared Tamar righteous, and that is what we mean by justified. We are declared righteous. It's not that we are righteous people. We are declared righteous because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In March, we saw the people in the land, how this family became a people, a nation. And so, Jacob's family of 73 went to Egypt to join his son Joseph, and together there were 77 of them. And it grew to over several millions over the next uh, many years, where there were 430 years they were in Egypt. And so in the Passover, God brought them out. They formed a new nation, and from now on, they are known as Israel. No longer just Hebrews, a tribe of people, but a nation called Israel. In the tabernacle, we saw, you know, tabernacle and then the temple is, the meaning is God is with us. But what we see, it blows our mind. God is with us, not through a building or a tent, but His Son, Emmanuel. And then in the bronze serpent, we saw that, you know, Jesus will bear our sins. Not only is He our substitutionary lamb, meaning He died in our place. When God sees His blood, God's wrath passes over us, but He bears our sin. And finally, last week, crossing into the promised land, it is Christ leading us into abundant life, what that looks like when, our, when we have a relationship with God and you know we understand our calling in this life and it's aligned to God. That's abundant life. And of course, going to the promised land is the ultimate motive of it is when we see Christ face to face. So, April onwards, we are entering the kings and the prophets. Of course, you know, this is highly summarized. We only picked out a few. And today we are looking at the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David. Let's pray. Lord, we commit this time to you. I pray for Holy Spirit to convict our hearts, especially during Holy Week. They will see Christ lifted up and Father, you will be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Bob was walking through a garage sale and he was about to exit when he noticed the bike sitting in the corner. It was covered by a piece of uh, blanket, but the shape was unmistakable. It was a Harley Davidson. So he asked, you know, he asked the owner, are you, are you selling that? And the man said, sure, um, $35. And I'll tell you why, you know, 
For, I bought this for a long time, but I've never been able to start it. There's something wrong with the engine, and now it's just all rusted and sitting in that corner. And so Bob thought, you know, if I break the parts apart, surely you're worth more than $35. So he bought the bike. After months of procrastinating, he finally got around to call the local dealership. And he wanted to buy some parts. So they asked him for the serial number. After he gave the serial number, the guy checked. And when he came back, you know, he, he sounded different. He was more self-conscious. He was stammering. And he said, sir, I have to hang up now. I'll call you back later. But can you leave your full name, address, and phone number? And so Bob thought it was strange, you know. I just want to buy some parts. But, well, no harm. So he gave the information. And the moment he hung up, he regretted. He thought, oh, what if, you know, this bike was involved in an accident? What if it was stolen? And so he, he was very anxious. And over the next few days, nobody called him. Finally, somebody, an, an executive from Harley-Davidson called him. He said, sir, can you do me a favor? You know, put down the phone, but don't hang up. You know, go unscrew the bike seat and tell me if there's anything beneath it. So the guy did it to a screwdriver, unscrewed the seat. And indeed, there were two words engraved onto the seat. And so he told the man the two words. And there was a moment of profound silence. Then the man said, Sir, I've been authorized by my company to offer you 300000 for the bike. Payable immediately. Is it a deal? And so Bob stammered. He said, uh, I got to think about this. And he hung up. After he hung up, he just collapsed onto the floor. It's like, 300000 You know, the next day, Jay Leno, who was the king of uh, night show talks, he collects Harley Davidson's and he called him. Called Bob and says, I'll offer you 500000 for that bike. You know, to Bob, it's just a $35 piece of rusty metal thing. How did it become, how did it, uh, how did, why is it that Jay Leno was willing to offer him so much money for that? He was about to learn a lesson that the value of the Harley Davidson is not just based on its parts, but who owned it? Who did it belong to? And that was all that matters. You know, friends, have you ever wondered if you're able to sell yourself, how much will people pay for you? And how are you going to value yourself, you know, based on your ability, based on your house, your bank account, or your pay for the job you do? Now, if it's based on pay, then no housewives, no job, means no pay then, no value? Now, I tell you, if you tell the housewife, they'll tell you that, you know, I am the laundromat, I am the helper, I am the nanny, I'm the cook, you cannot afford to pay me to do that job. So how do we value ourselves? Perhaps for us, we feel like, sometimes inside of us, we feel like we are nobodies. But we want to be somebody. We want our life to matter, to mean something. And so the world tells us, you know, if you go to the right schools and the right results, you are somebody. If, you know, you are married, you have, someone loves you, you have a family, you are somebody. If you own certain uh, possessions, certain jobs, you are somebody. Like recently, right, in Straits Times, we saw the, this, they did this uh, article on the, the billionaires and the good-looking guys who own GCBs, you know. You know, after reading all these things, like, wow, these people have value, right? Or the CEOs and what, of, what you, of those different companies. Is that how we value ourselves? If we base our identity and value on these external things, on these values, 
we will always feel like we are not enough. We will never meet our meet the standards if you know our value is based on our performance. You know, in scripture, there was a nobody who became a somebody. And that was David. He was a shepherd who became the king of Israel. And so today, from the covenant God made with David, we will ask this question, you know, how do I value myself? We ask, who am I? And secondly, so what? In the Lord's eyes, who am I? And then secondly, so what do we do about it? So we look at 2 Samuel 7. You know, covenants are God's agreement to, with His people. It's how He administers the relationship. So in Scripture, the first known covenant is, of course, with Noah, the rainbow covenant. God gave a rainbow as a sign of the covenant. Then God made a covenant with Abraham. He promised him the land, the seed, and the blessing. The land, of course, the promised land of Palestine today that we know. Um, and then with the covenant with Moses, he unpacks about this land. The covenant with David, it talks about the seed. And finally, in the new covenant, it deals with the blessing that through the seed of Abraham, all nations will be blessed. Okay, so I hope you get this big picture. And today we'll look at this covenant with David. Now, who was David? He was the, a shepherd boy who became the king of Israel. And so, 2 Samuel 7, it says, the prophet Nathan, God told him to go tell David. He says, now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. Just before this, David wanted to build a house for God, a temple. He was finally king over all Israel. He lived in a beautiful house, a, a palace, and he says, it's time to build a house for God. And then God said, you know, do I really need a house? I don't need it. Instead, David, I'll do something for you. I'll bring you, I've called you from a shepherd boy to a ruler. Now, you remember how David was called to be king? Saul was bad. And so God sent Samuel the prophet to anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be king. And this was what happened. He went there and then Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? He couldn't find the, the one that he's supposed to anoint. And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest and behold, he's tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Now friends, if you know one of your children is going to be the king of Israel, what would you do? Now I'm going to bring all my kids plus my pets, the dogs and cats, okay? Just in case. Okay, but, but Jesse didn't, you know. He, he left David out there. He says the youngest is out there. Now you know as a shepherd what you need to do? You need to fight lions and bears and wolves. You will not leave your youngest child out there. So certainly there are some issues here, okay? The word youngest, ha-katan, doesn't only refer to young and small, but insignificant. Hence, in Psalms 27, David says, he says, you know, my father and mother has abandoned me, but not God. So certainly, okay, David has some family of origin issues. You don't know, maybe he was a son, uh, he was birthed by her father and a prostitute or a concubine, but he was despised in his family. Right? He was left out there when, when the prophet came to say one of your kids will be the king. But nonetheless, David was a nobody, but God made him a somebody. He says, I have been with you wherever you have gone and cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who were on earth. People were, Saul was trying to kill David 
because he was jealous, right? The incumbent king. David had to run for his life, leave his home, leave his country. And there was a group of mighty men, mighty warriors who were non-Israelites. Okay, they came around David to support him, to fight for him until he established his kingdom. God cut off all his enemies and now David is finally king over all Israel. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly. God promised them a land and he says, I have given you the land. In fact, you know, that land lasts till today in the land of Palestine and why we have all those wars. You know, you want to know more next week, you come for Easter Sunday. We talk about the land and God says, I have given you the land. Now no one will disturb them. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Remember David says, God, I want to build a house for you. But God says, no, I will build a house for you. Now friends, sometimes we think we do a lot for God. We sacrifice for God. But the reality is we can never outgive God. We can never out-sacrifice God. We can never do more than what God has done for us. He gave us His Son. That's the ultimate sacrifice. And God told David, you want to build a house for me? I will build a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God told David that there's too much blood on your hands. You're not going to build the temple for me, but your son will do it. And he raised his son Solomon, the son between David and Bathsheba. And through Solomon, he will build a temple for God and God will establish his kingdom forever. I'll be a father to him and he'll be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. God says, if you sin, I will discipline your descendants, but my loving kindness will never depart from you. And so we see the subsequent history of the kings when Israel and Judah were uh, disobedient to God you know, God dealt with them. Eventually, they were taken to captivity to Babylon, right? But the Lord brought them back. His loving kindness will never depart from him. Finally, the summary of the covenant. It says, your house, your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the gist of the whole covenant. Not only God is explaining who the seed of the woman is, he will come from the son of David, the house of David. God says, Forever on the throne of Israel will sit a son of David. This is God's promise. David was a nobody, but God made him a somebody. And that's the story of our lives. Do you know why Jay Leno offered half a million for that rusted Harley Davidson? Because of the two words engraved on the seat, which was the king. Of course, he was referring to Elvis Presley, okay? The king of rock and roll. And that is why the Harley Davidson was so valuable. Because of who owned it. Or just like what I shared in the pastor's voice, right? That Ming Dynasty plate. It was degraded, you know, so that there was value for the cats. And I think that's exactly what God did for us. 
Jesus Christ was degraded on the cross. He gave his life so that those who believe in Christ, we can be reconciled to God and we become children of God. Do you know how valuable that is? No, someone once told me, so all human beings, you know, we, we should love each other because we're all children of God, right? Sounds right, lah, but actually it's not right. We are all created in the image of God. But friends, sin has marred that image. Because we are created in the image of God, we, people have inherent value. Not based on our jobs, not based on our economic contribution of how we value somebody. But simply because they're human beings, they bear the image of God. But that has been marred by sin. But the gospel redeems this value, this image. Jesus Christ came so that we can be accepted by God because God only accepts the perfect. Not because it's unreasonable, but because God Himself is perfect. If God can lower His standards and accept imperfect people, then He is not God. Because perfection in the midst cannot stand imperfection, just like light cannot stand darkness, right? When there's light, there's no darkness. And hence, there's a need to send his son down. And when Jesus came, it was not just a byproduct or afterthought, right? This whole series we have been seeing that right from the beginning, God has this redemptive plan. He was going to send a saviour and tells us it's the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, it comes from the tribe of Judah, will be a son of David and all those prophecies that led up to the time Jesus came. Friends, we are nobody who becomes somebody because of the touch of Christ. It's not based on our, our abilities or our jobs or our, the money that we make. You know, long ago when I was still doing finance, I do real estate companies. And so my customers are people who have big real estate companies. And these people are not millionaires, okay? They are multi, multi-millionaire. They own buildings in Orchard Road. Okay, not just offices, whole and several buildings. And so at the time, you know, I, of course, get to see them. And I realize, well, they're good at making money, but it doesn't mean they have wisdom in life. How they dealt with their children, their family. You know, one of them even had a telescope facing, fixed, facing towards a five-star hotel in Orchard Road. Okay, and then it's free. He'll look at it. He invite, even invited me to take a look. What, what are you looking at, you know, when you look at the telescope facing this hotel? You go and imagine yourself. But all I can say, next time you stay in a hotel, make sure you close your curtains, Okay. Okay, in those times, uh, at night, I, I'll go to church, maybe three times a week. We will be bringing those migrant workers from construction site, from the ports to church. So I'll drive the church van, you know, like the van I'm driving now. And you know how many people we can squeeze in there? 30 to 40 people. Okay, this happened more than 30 years ago, so I, I'm sure the traffic police won't come after me. <laughs> Alright, we'll bring them to church, uh, we'll teach them the gospel, and then, and then you begin to see when they become Christians, they accept Christ, their lives begin to change. How they deal with their family, restore relationship, you know, and some of them even decided to go back home to start churches, and now almost 30 years later, those churches are still running healthily. And so at the time, it presented a big contrast to me. By day, I look at all these really wealthy people and sometimes I'm thinking, what the heck are you doing? By night, I see all these people without educational background, hard laborers, but how their lives changed, how they live out their lives with dignity. And so the contrast was very obvious to me. Friends, we have value. We have dignity. Not because of our jobs, not because of our education, not because of how much money we can make, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
when we realize how precious we are in the sight of our Creator, when we realize that we are children of God, that is a priceless position, an identity that we have. And so the question that is, are we willing to put our lives in God's hands to let Him use our lives? You can say, God, I don't have a lot of talent. I'm not good in a lot of things. My results are terrible. But you know, when we're willing to say, God, use my life, God can use it. There was this family. They brought their 10-year-old son to a concert performance to listen to a, a world-renowned pianist perform. When they got to their seats, they realized that their 10-year-old son was missing. So the wife glared at the husband as if to say, I thought he was with you. And the husband just shrugged his shoulders. So they began to panic and look around, you know, where's the son? And then suddenly they heard a familiar tune coming from the grand piano on stage. They look up and they realize why it was familiar. It was their son. The whole week he has been practicing at home this piece on their piano. And so again, the wife glared at her husband. It was the same glare, but this time he said a different thing. He was saying, you better go get him. If not tonight, he'll be sleeping outside. So he, he went up, but before he could get up there, things took a turn for the worse. You know, the pianist appeared on stage and everybody began sniggering, saying, ah, whose son is this? It's so terrible. How can they allow this to happen? But you know, the pianist, he just sat down beside the boy, listened to him play, and then he played the accompaniment and the chords and turned that tune into a world-class performance. And everybody clapped. And I suppose that's what Christ did for us. In our little efforts to raise our kids, you know, to be godly, raise our grandchildren, our efforts to be a testimony at our workplaces, our efforts to, to let someone help somebody to know Christ. We think, Lord, we have broken lives. But I think that's what God can take our lives and make something out of it. Because friends, while we are nobody who becomes a somebody because of the touch of Christ. And so, so what? So let us then live like somebody. Live as if your life matters. Live not just for yourself, not just for the temporal, but realize there's this eternal life and what are we doing to impact eternity? Because we're living for that, because that's our destiny. Last week when I talked about abundant life, I said abundant life is when you're, you know you're in relationship with God and you know the gifts and calling God has given you and you're living that out. But you know that begins by understanding who we are. I belong to Christ. And so let's live like somebody because of the touch of Christ. Let's look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hazon and Hezron was the father of Ram. Usually in genealogies, we only find the names of the fathers. But in Matthew, interestingly, we see a few names of those women and we wonder why are they there. Tamar, we, saw the, we, under, we read her story in February, right? She lied to her, her father-in-law, had an incestuous affair. And you wonder what is she doing in the name list of the Messiah? We read on. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. 
Ruth was a good woman, but she was a Moabite. And Moab was an enemy of Israel, despised by them. What are they doing in the name, namely in the genealogy of the Saviour? Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba had an affair with David. And it's, you know, why did the person describe Bathsheba who was the wife of Uriah? He could have stopped at Bathsheba. Just like before, right? Rahab, Ruth. He didn't have to describe, but by naming Uriah, you know, the point was not about Bathsheba, who had an affair with David. The point was about David. Who is Uriah? Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Remember I, I talked about them? When, when Saul was after his life, he ran from his, his home, away from his home country. No Israelite would support him. A bunch of non-Israelites came around him, fought for him, protected him, established his kingdom for him. And when David became king, he took a liking of Uriah's wife, slept with her, made her pregnant, and then to cover up his sin, he called Uriah back from the front line. He thought, you know, after being away for so long, surely Uriah will sleep with his wife and he can cover my sin. I'll just say, oh, that baby belongs to Uriah. The next day when he opened his door, he saw, what is Uriah doing sleeping outside my house? He didn't go home, you know. And Uriah said, my soldiers are out there fighting. How can I possibly go home to my wife? And his act of loyalty signed his own death warrant. Because David said, fine. He gave him a letter, says, go back and give it to the general. The letter said, go to war. And when you're fighting, in a pullback, leave Uriah in front. And Uriah was killed. These are the people who became the ancestors of Jesus. You know, if I were to make up a religion, I wouldn't write all these people's name there, you know. Right? You want to put all the kings and all the heroes and all the good people, poets and artists, why do you want to put all these people who are on the fringe, who are being despised, who nobody liked? But yet, this is the line of the Messiah. When we feel like we are struggling in our sin, we feel ashamed, we feel like, we, you know, in our jobs, we are not really good at it. Uh, in schools, we don't get good results. We struggle with same-sex attraction when someone finds out you know, we deal with all this guilt and shame. But when we look at the line of the Messiah, I tell you, we are comforted. Because Jesus came to save the shameful, the despised, the outcast, those who are on the fringes, those who, are, who have no value, which include people like you and I. Friends, that is the gospel. Because of the death of Christ, we are now marked. We belong to Him and hence we are no longer nobodies. We are somebody because of the touch of Christ. And we see David here is the mediator of the covenant. God made a covenant with him. And so when he came down, it says Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, to whom Jesus was born. So all generations were Abraham to David, 14. David to Babylon, deportation, 14. Deportation from Babylon to come back, 14. Of course, they are not all 14, okay? This is a redacted list. 14, David's name in Hebrew adds up to 14. What he's trying to say is, Jesus is the Messiah we have been waiting for. The one that God promised to be sit on the throne of David. That's why he, the son of David, the seed of Abraham, that's why he was named. And so what we learned here, that when God made the covenant with David, you know, David went on to do all the bad things. When God made the covenant with Noah, 
Noah got drunk and then there was this weird episode with him and his son, you know. And then when God made a covenant with Abraham, Abraham lied about his wife Sarah being his sister. Not only did he risk her life, he risked God's entire redemptive plan because God said the Savior will come through Sarah. When God made a covenant with Moses, you know Moses was a murderer. Moses got mad, struck the rock and God said, you're not going to the promised land. These are the mediators of the covenant. But you know, the mediator of the new covenant was different. He's Jesus Christ, who was sinless, who gave up His position in heaven, degraded Himself so that we can be upgraded. This teaches us what we have been talking about the last few months. That friends, in the Bible, there is no hero but one. That is the last Adam, the seed of the woman, the greater Noah, the seed of Abraham, the one that God has promised, the true son of David, the true Israel, the saviour, the king, Jesus Christ. He's the climax of God's redemptive plan, the centre of the entire human history. That is who Jesus is. Do you realise who you are? We are a child of God because of what Jesus did. And if that's the case, then let's live as if that is true. Let's live like somebody. You know, when I was in seminary, I knew this sister who had polio. So she would have crutches all over. She would walk on crutches. One day I saw her buying some groceries, you know, so I thought I should help her bring back to her home. So I carried two big bags, went to her home, and I opened the door, I was shocked. I mean, she was so messy, you know. I thought I was a messy person, but she's up one level. I asked, where am I going to put the groceries? She said, put on the floor. I thought, what floor? I couldn't see the floor. There was books, there was clothes, there was half-eaten uh, food. I was going to put the groceries on the table when suddenly she cast aside her crutches and began crawling on the floor. And then she pulled herself up the sofa and then that's when I realised, you see, she was, the place was so messy, not because she was a messy person, but because usually she crawls around and you know, I felt this lump in my throat. I quickly put down the groceries and walked away. You know, I thought, here is somebody who is struggling to live for Christ. She cannot even walk properly. And me, you know, I got four limbs and I was complaining, oh yeah, seminary is so tough. Not long ago, I saw her block and she said, I want to be open to God's call and will, even if it does not appear when I think it should. I want to be open to God's call and will, even when things don't turn out how I think they should. When it comes to dealing with the surprising, startling, unpredictable and unforeseen, I admit I still have some work to do. I tend to get impatient if circumstances don't move steadily in the direction I anticipated they would. I need to be reminded the plans are not mine but His. I need to know once again the timetable is not mine but His. The results are His. The kingdom is His. The praise is His. The honour is His. How much of my life is defined by knowing and revealing Him? How well do I know Him so that I can aptly make Him known? What fears and motives have mine are yet standing, are yet keeping others from glimpsing Him in my life? Woe is me if I spend my days looking to me as the goal of what gets done and accomplished and lived out. It's not good enough. With the help of the Spirit who reveals, I want to go beyond. I want to trust more fully and believe the impossible. What I see here 
is somebody who is a nobody, but became somebody because of a touch of Christ. It's somebody who struggles to live, to put her life in the hands of Christ to be used. Who's somebody who struggles like you and I. And I always wonder if she can struggle and is yet willing to live for Christ, to live like somebody that matters, how much more us. So friends, today in the story of David, he was a nobody who became a somebody. So let's live like somebody because of the touch of Christ. How do we keep our hearts warmed? That the gospel is not something intellectual. It's not something that happened to us years back when we became Christians, but it's a true and living relationship with God. It's a daily relationship. You know, this week as we enter Lent, I want to encourage us to, to come for our dawn prayer. It's a time to slow down, to reflect on what Christ has done and let God speak to us so that it's real. And actually, you know, we call it dawn prayer, but we're very kind, you know. Notice how many slots we have. Uh, we have, even have evening slots, you know. In the past, it's 6.30 you come here. Now it's like, oh, evening. So I want to encourage us to come. Our baptism service on Saturday next week. You know, this is probably the, one of the most we are, we are having of baptism and transfer. God is doing something in our midst, but do we sense that? Are we part of that movement? Come and listen to their stories and let our hearts be warmed that we rediscover our first love for God. Our CPR, the time to come pray together corporately. The resurrection services, that invite somebody to come along. When we have listened to this greatest love story ever told, it should not remain just in our minds. But we want to be part of this story. We want to write this story in someone else's life. You say, but you know, I can share with my neighbour, my colleagues, my friends, my parents, but they will not believe. But friends, let us put our meagre efforts into the hands of God and let Him use it. You know, when I look at my own life, I feel like I'm a nobody. Have I ever wanted to be a pastor to lead people spiritually? Never. You know, when I became senior pastor, I shared with you before, my friends say, well, now you're senior pastor. You know? Do you feel more spiritual than everybody else? I say, you've got to be kidding. I've never wanted to lead people spiritually. To me, if I can make it to the end and love Jesus and love people, wow, you know. Chiu means very good already, you know. What are we going to lead people? No lah. But along the way, if I can point somebody to Jesus, if I can help someone along in this journey, I think that's a life worth living. So why do I do what I do? Why am I here today? I also don't know. But when I accepted the gospel, I know this thing. I'm a nobody who became somebody because of Christ and this life belongs to Him. Who do you belong to? Who owns your life? Let's pray. Let's respond to the Lord in prayer. If you truly believe that our lives belong to Christ, know that whatever we are struggling with, some shame, guilt, how do Let's take this time to respond to God in prayer.
It's like our life belongs to you. 